How many of you ever heard of Marymoth? I never heard of him until I looked up this week in Nehemiah chapter 3, his name. I've read through Nehemiah chapter 3, but if you've ever read it, it's just name after name after name after name. And here we learn about him. It says, uh, beside him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, I guess, uh, made, excuse me, it's hard for me to see what it says there, made repairs. That's his name. And there it is in Nehemiah chapter 3. And if you look through Nehemiah chapter 3, it's filled with names like this. And all it talks about are the people who built the walls of Jerusalem. A very important task when the city was in ruins and Nehemiah got the people together and they rebuilt the walls. It was an important job. They were victorious and successful at it. But it still amazes me that Merimoth and all these other guys are there named in Scripture. Why would God take a whole chapter of his word just to list a bunch of names that no one can pronounce and that no one honestly since the time he lived really cares that much about? It shows me that each one of us is a person known by God, created by God, that all of us with our gifts that God gives us when we do something for the Lord, he sees it. And he rewards it. That should give us hope for our lives that we're not nameless numbers to God. Uh, We're not uh, people working for him and living our lives. And he never notices. He does notice. He does reward. And at times he puts names of people like that in his word. I'm sure his mom, when the scroll was completed and Nehemiah started reading it and it was passed out, she would know exactly where in the scroll his name was. And she would tell you all about Merimoth and how great her son was and how he was in the scroll Nehemiah wrote and how he built the wall. She'd probably even take you to it and show you everything that he had done. And so I know she was very proud, and he was, and others who knew him. But nowadays, he's just a name that we read every once in a while when we're reading through our Bibles And we've kind of forgotten, but God hasn't. And that's why I like the fact that there's lots of names in the Bible of people who seem insignificant to us, but who did great things for God. Now, what about the opposite? Because there's lots of people in the Bible who did great things for God, and they're not even mentioned. And the list is long, hundreds of them. We know the story of the wise men. We don't know their names. That's a pretty significant story, isn't it? Jesus feeding the 5,000. We know that story. The little boy whose lunch Jesus blessed and used to feed everyone, we don't know his name. We don't know the names of so many people. The Roman soldier who proclaimed Jesus' crucifixion, here he was certainly the Son of God. What a proclamation. We don't know his name. There are lots of people. We don't know their names. So what does that mean? I think it gives us another lesson. The fact that God has people throughout scripture who do amazing things, yet their names are unknown to us. It's a reminder that in everyday life, there are plenty of people around us that we don't know their names. When you came to church today, if you stopped to get gas, maybe a donut on the way, you probably ran into someone you didn't know, don't know their name. Maybe even the clerk at the store, if he or she didn't have a name tag on, you wouldn't know who it was. But wasn't that part of your life today? 
And that's true every day. You pass people on the road coming here. You don't know their names, but it was part of your day. I think the point is that there are always people behind the scenes or part of our life that do great things for us. If you had that donut from the clerk, you're glad that clerk sold you that donut. So they're great things, but we don't know who they are. It doesn't mean they're any less significant. It doesn't mean they're not doing important things. It's just a reminder that there's always people doing great things that we don't know or they're doing it behind the scenes. But God knows, and he rewards those people as well. So for the rest of the summer, we're going to look at different people in the Bible who we don't know their names, but they did great things for God, or we can learn great lessons from them. And I tried to pick stories that weren't so uh, familiar. I've already mentioned two very familiar stories. The feeding of the 5,000, the wise men coming to visit Jesus. We don't know those people, but we know those stories very well. And in fact, I've kind of tricked you, I wouldn't say deceived you this morning, but the, the first one we're going to look at, it's not even a person at all. It's a donkey. That's who we're going to look at today. A talking donkey. And not this donkey from Shrek. Uh, you have to say it that way, don't you? Every time you say his name, donkey. Donkey. It's not this donkey. It's probably a donkey to look more like this. And he was the original talking donkey. We're going to look at his story this morning. But it begins with a man named Balaam. And let's listen to the story from Numbers chapter 22. Since Balak, son of Zippar, was Moab's king at that time, he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor of Pethor, which is by the Euphrates in the land of his people. That's a lot of names, isn't it? <laughs> let's keep going. Balak said to him, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the... I'm sorry, it's hard for me to read it up here. I've got to use a different background. I'm going to come over here, okay, so I can read the words to you. They cover the surface of the land and are living right across from me. Please come over and put a curse on these people from me before, because they are more powerful than I am. I may be able to do to them and drive them out of the land, for I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed." So this is how the story begins. The Israelites are ready to enter the promised land. Their 40 years of wandering are over. They've just defeated the Amorites. And now the Moabites, whose king is Balak, realizes that they may be next. He doesn't want to be overthrown next, so he wants to get the upper hand. And his plan is to call Balaam to come and to curse the Israelites. And his hope is if they are cursed, they will not succeed and they will not attack him and his country and his rule will be secure. So he calls for Balaam. Balaam, come and curse these people. So Balaam says, let me sleep on it. Let me talk to God and I'll give you an answer in the morning. So he asked God and God said, no, don't go with these guys and don't curse the people of Israel. Don't go. So Balaam said to Balak, I'm not going, not doing it. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, Balak didn't like that answer. So he came back with a better offer. They came to Balaam and said to him, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Let nothing keep you from coming to me, for I will greatly honor you and do whatever you ask me. So please come and put a curse on these people for me. 
So Balak comes back, and he basically gives Balaam a blank check. He says, name your price, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Just come and curse these people. Well, now the stakes are a little bit higher. Before it was going to be a generous gift. Now it's anything that Balaam wants. So Balaam says, well, maybe I need to ask God again. <laughs> I know he said no the first time, but now things are a little bit different. Let me ask him again. And so he does ask God again. And God says, go with him. So the next day, Balaam gets on his donkey. He starts off on his journey. This is where the story gets interesting. You see, the angel of the Lord, and I believe this angel of the Lord was actually God himself because he speaks as God. And you'll notice in a moment, Balaam bows to him. Angels in Scripture never allow anyone to bow to them because they're not God. But here, this one does allow him to. So I think this is God himself. Most likely Jesus himself before he came to Bethlehem in the flesh. So God himself is standing there with a sword. So the donkey sees the angel of the Lord and goes off the path. The donkey's smart enough not to run into the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. So Balaam gets furious. He beats the donkey. The donkey goes on. He comes to a part in the path now where there's two walls and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord and so the donkey moves over to the side so he can get by. And when he does, he squeezes Balaam against the wall and Balaam gets his leg caught up against it and he gets even angrier and he beats the donkey again. Well, then they go a little bit farther. Now the angel of the Lord is standing directly in front of the donkey. So the donkey just sits down and stops. Now Balaam's really mad, and he hits the donkey the third time. And that's when the donkey speaks. Then the Lord appeared. Excuse me. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she asked Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beat me these three times? Now, if you were talking to your animal, I mean, if your animal started talking to you, what, I mean, how would you respond? If you, your dog this afternoon just started talking to you, I, don't, I think you would probably say something like, what are you doing? Or maybe you would faint, or maybe you would check to make sure you weren't hallucinating. I mean, you'd have, a, I think, a different response than what Balaam had. Balaam's response is to talk back to the donkey. And the donkey's talking to him. And he just turns right around and starts talking back to him. I think he was so angry that he just wanted to beat this donkey. The donkey's talking to him. He said, just come at me. All right, let's have, let's have it out. If we're going to talk, let's talk. Because I'm going to get you one way or the other. And so he starts talking back to the donkey. The donkey asks him, why have you beaten me? And Balaam says this. Balaam answered the donkey. You made me look like a fool. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you now. But the donkey said, Am I not the donkey you've ridden all your life until today? Have I ever treated you this way before? No, he replied. And that's the end of the donkey's part in the story as far as him talking. But that's pretty amazing, isn't it? He talks to Balaam, asks him why he's beating him. And when Balaam says, I'm so angry I could just kill you right now, he says to him, 
Have I ever acted this way? Now think about it. Balaam should be thinking rather than being angry for a moment. Something's not right as donkey's talking to him. Something's not right if this donkey has never acted this way before. Having an animal that's hard to control is not unusual. You've probably had your dog that won't do what you say. Maybe your horse. I mean, that's why a horse has a bridle. That's why you nudge the horse with not only the bridle, but with your heels to get it to move. Certainly your cat hasn't obeyed you when you've told your cat to do something, right? So animals that are hard to get along with or disobey you is not unusual. But for this donkey, this donkey had been pretty reasonable, I guess, over all the years. So the donkey's acting out of character. The donkey's talking to him. That's certainly out of character. And Balaam, nothing's registering with him because he's so angry. He's angry because he can't wait to get to Balak. He can't wait to write his check and get his reward. And this donkey's in his way. I think there's some things we can learn from this donkey. One thing I think we learn is that we should consider really anyone who comes to us with the word of God, with a message from God. I think we should listen. I think sometimes we don't listen to someone or to a group or to a preacher or to a book because we dismiss it offhand right away before we even hear what it has to say or he or she has to say. There was a a pastor that I knew in Ohio who was going to a conference and he was one of the speakers. He got into an elevator with this other man. He looked at the other man and he just thought... This guy's short. He's not dressed very well. Doesn't speak English very well. What is he? At that moment, if that guy had anything to say, this pastor would have just ignored it. Man, I don't need to listen to that guy. Come to find out that short, not well-dressed, not good English-speaking guy was the key speaker for the conference because he was a missionary from another country. And he had a powerful message of how where he was serving, God was changing the lives of people. This pastor realized that he had been foolish in dismissing him simply because of the way he looked. So I think we do need to listen. People do come to me and say, "God God wants me to tell you this. I listen. If someone gives me a book, I try to to read it. It, If you share something with me, if I hear something, I listen. Because if a donkey can talk and help out Balaam, I think whoever, anybody, could potentially help me. But I do also say to be careful. Because now we do have the whole word of God, which Balaam didn't have. Anything someone says to you has to square with the Bible. If it contradicts the Bible, it's not from God, no matter what they say. So always listen, but always check what they say with the Bible. Also, we have the Holy Spirit living in us who gives us discernment. 
There are false prophets. There are false teachers. There are people who will say something's from God and it's not. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment. So don't dismiss people from the outset. But listen carefully. And check it with what God says. And that person may have some encouragement. May have some advice. May have some truth that you hadn't thought of. And it may come from a source that you never thought it would. Also, we learn from the donkey that what we consider an obstacle may be God's way of helping us. The angel told Balaam, if the donkey hadn't done what it had done, you would be dead. That donkey saved Balaam's life. If the donkey hadn't turned off the road, squeezed through the path, sat on the ground, God would have killed Balaam. That's why he was so angry, too. He, he was angry because he wasn't getting on to his destination. The stupid donkey was holding him up. It was an obstacle. But in reality, it wasn't an obstacle. He was saving his life. Think about your life. The frustrations, the obstacles. Maybe those are there for a reason. Take a moment and think, maybe these obstacles are in my life because God wants to teach me something. Maybe they're here because I need to go in a different direction. Maybe they're here because I need to learn more patience. Maybe they're here because I need a lesson to learn. See those obstacles, not as barriers and roadblocks that's keeping you from what you want to do. See them as opportunities to learn or change direction or hear something from God. That donkey was not an obstacle. That donkey was a savior that day. So if this donkey was smart enough to know not to test the angel of the Lord, this donkey was smart enough in a sense to follow the Lord, maybe we can be as smart as this donkey and trust God that he knows what he's doing. He does have a perfect plan for our life. Uh, the story doesn't end there. Balaam does go to Balak. And there, on three different occasions, on three different mountains, Balaam does ask God, God, what do you want me to say? And Balaam speaks. And he speaks blessings. The first time, blessings. Balak says, what are you doing? I, I, I'm hiring you to curse them. You're blessing them. Let's do it again, all right? I don't think you heard. You didn't do it right. Let's try it a second time. And Balaam again pronounces blessing. At that point, Balak says, listen, just shut up. One more time. A third time. Bless them. Just don't say anything. Let's try it one more time. A third time. Blessing. At that time, Balak said, that's it. You're not getting your money. I'm leaving you. Forget it. I wanted you to... Curse my enemies, and all you've done is three times is bless them. And then Balaam goes on and blesses them a fourth time without even being asked. Because that's what God wanted him to say. And in that fourth blessing, there's even a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus coming. The four blessings spoken on the people of Israel as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. That's not the end of the story either. See, to this point, Balaam hasn't gotten his money. 
He made the journey. He spoke the words. But because they weren't the words that Balak wanted to hear, he didn't get his money. And we learn later in Numbers, we learn from the New Testament that Balaam had a second idea, a plan B. If he couldn't curse Israel, maybe he could do something that would bring a curse on themselves. And that's what he did. This is what the scripture says about Balaam. While Israel was staying in the Asia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to the sacrifices for their gods, and the people ate and bowed and worshipped to their gods. So Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Yet they are the ones who, at Balaam's advice, incited the Israelites to unfaithfulness against the Lord in the Peor incident, so that the plague came against the community. So what happened was Balaam deceived, enticed, tempted the people to worship a false god, to worship Baal. Now, it's not easy just to have people denounce their god and start worshiping another god. So, sorry, ladies, he got women to help him out. Okay? But really, it's an indictment on the men. And this is hard for us to understand. I won't go into too much detail because of the children here, but our worship of God today is a lot different than the ancients and how they worshiped. They had Baal, who was a male god, and they had a female goddess. And the gods and the goddesses would be intimate, and that's in mythology how the world would be fertile. And so people would imitate that in their worship of the gods. And that's what Balaam enticed the men of Israel to do. So not only was there worship of a false god, there was immorality... Because of that immorality and that false worship, God killed 24,000 Israelites in a plague as punishment for their sin. Balaam was the one who hatched this plan, and it's implied that Balaam then got his reward. And this is what we learn from Balaam, especially from the New Testament, when it talks about his way, his error, his teaching. Balaam is condemned in the New Testament. When I first told the story, it sounded like he was kind of a good prophet. I mean, he told the truth. He blessed the people. He said, I can only say what God says. He prayed to God at first to see if he should go. But there was more to Balaam than speaking the blessings and the truth that God gave him. See, he was a compromiser. It seems from reading numbers that the reason in the first place that Balak came to him was because not only was he a prophet, but also he was a diviner. In other words, he would look at signs to foretell the future or look at signs to tell someone's uh, life story. So, so think of a fortune teller or even think of maybe like a, a witch doctor or something. So that's what he was in addition to proclaiming truth. And God had forbidden divination. It seemed like that's what he did. He got the people to compromise. Yeah, they worship God, but they also worship Baal. And so Balaam's error is this, is a little bit of holiness and a little bit of sin. 
a little bit of living with God, a little bit of living in the world. And that never works. A little bit of truth, a little bit of error. Isn't it true that you can't have a little bit of healthy food and a little bit of poison, and that works out okay? You know, a little bit of oxygen, a little bit of cyanide gas, that's okay. Those don't work, and a little bit of holiness and a little bit of sin doesn't mix. We need to understand that in our own lives. Because that is a very tempting way to live a Christian life. A little bit of worldliness and a little bit of church. A little bit of righteous living. A little bit of fun, sinful living. Just enough church and righteousness to look good and to feel good about yourself. But just enough sin to have some fun. God doesn't see it that way. He says to be holy. As I am holy. Balaam also was very greedy. That's why he had a second plan. He wanted that reward. That's why he asked God a second time. Beware of serving the Lord. Or beware of teachers who want to teach you the word of God. But their motivation is money. That was Balaam's error. And the third one is that he... Tried to manipulate God. You see, the first time he asked, God said no. The second time, what Balaam should have said to the guys that came, God's told me, no, I'm not going with you. But he, he liked the offer better the second time. So he wanted to get a different answer from God. See, I think that's why it was confusing. I kind of skipped over. God said, don't go. Then he said, go. And then when he went, God was ready to kill him. That doesn't make sense. Well, it does make sense if you understand what Balaam was doing. God had said no. Balaam obeyed. Great. The second time they came, Balaam didn't like the answer he got the first time, so he tried to get a different answer. And I think God was acting almost like a parent. You know, if you're a parent and you just get nagged and nagged and nagged and nagged by your children to do something, sometimes you'll say, just do it. And your intention is when you say to do it is that they're going to find out what the consequences are for what they want to do. I think that's what God wanted Balaam to see. The consequences of trying to get your way instead of God's way when God's told you clearly what he wants. And finding out the consequences of greediness. I failed to mention that the story ends for Balaam when Moses and the Israelites attack Moab defeat them in battle, and they kill Balaam. So he got, in the end, really what he deserved. Enticed the people away from God, was greedy for money, wanted to manipulate God and get a different answer. Listen to me carefully. God tells us to keep praying. If you pray and you don't get an answer, pray again. And if you don't get an answer, pray again. In fact, Jesus tells a parable of a widow who was persistent in asking a judge for justice. And what he's saying in that parable basically is that God is more compassionate and loving than a judge who won't give justice. And so if that woman who was persistent and kept asking got justice from that judge, when we as children of our father ask, we are going to get an answer eventually. So if you don't get one, keep asking, keep praying. But when God gives a clear answer, that's the end of it. 
Right, parents? When you finally give a clear answer, that's supposed to be the end of it. Don't keep asking. Don't keep asking until you get a different answer. And that's what Balaam refused to do. We have a donkey, and we have an evil prophet. There's lessons from both of them to learn this morning. As I pray, I want you to ask God which lesson you need this morning. Is there compromise? You have a little sin and a little holiness? Does the wealth have too much of a grip on you? You try to get God to give you what you want instead of listening to what he says he wants you to do? Do you dismiss people who want to teach you something because they don't look the right way or come from the right denomination? Do you look at obstacles in your life and you shout at God rather than learning lessons from them? I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you as I pray. Father, we thank you for this story. But more than for the story, Lord, we thank you for you and how you lead us and you guide us. Lord, my prayer is simple. I have shared your word. I've summarized it here at the end. Now it's time, Lord, for you to speak to your people and for them to say yes to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak loudly. I pray that they would listen and obey. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Stand with me, please, and we're going to sing as we close our service today. But as we are singing, as always, it's responding. And I'll be at the back door if you want, even right now as we sing, to come and talk to me and I'll pray with you. Just a reminder, we haven't been mentioning giving offering any time we've been down here. But I just want to remind you that there's an offering box at the back table that's always there when you come in or when you leave the service. Even in the middle of the service, I guess, if you want to get up and put it back there, that's fine. Of course, you can always give online. You can mail in your offering. You can drop it by the office. And now there's even a box on the outside of the, the church building right next to the doors to the welcome center. The, you know, usually you go in one or two doors, the main sanctuary door or the one there that goes into the welcome center. Right there at the welcome center doors, there's a box now. So even if you come at 2 a.m. to drop off your offering, I'm not going to be here. Brady's not coming across the street to get it. But at 2 a.m., you can put it in that box. And it's locked and it's safe there. So those are your options. Always remember those. And thank you for your giving. And thank you, especially in this difficult time, of how you've been faithful and generous in your giving. Thank you for that. Let's sing and let's respond. <laughs>